Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our Old Testament lesson today comes from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Our New Testament lesson comes, comes from Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. Thank you, Deb. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, and I want to read the beginning, uh, the first three verses, which are not in the bulletin. So I'm going to move over to the big Bible here. It's a heavy one, but I didn't think to print out the first three verses, so I'm just going to bring this over here. And this is uh, the very first verses of Mark's gospel, and as I mentioned, this is the story of Jesus' baptism. Uh, But the the beginning words here that aren't in the bulletin are some words from the prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet uh, in the 700s BC in Israel. So hear now how God is speaking to you through these words of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who shall prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. If some of that sounds familiar to you, we read, uh, we read the part about John the Baptist back in December, uh, in the second Sunday of Advent, not the baptism part, but the, just the part about John the Baptist coming out to prepare the way. So if it sounds familiar, you heard it uh, just four weeks ago. Uh, and we have in this passage John the Baptist. John is pointing the people toward Jesus. Pointing the people toward Jesus, not maybe specifically by name, but to say the one is coming. One is coming who is more powerful than me. And I'm sure that John knew it was Jesus because they were cousins. They had grown up together and there's that story of Elizabeth and Mary being pregnant together and John leaping in, uh, in Elizabeth's womb when Mary comes to visit. So probably uh, John knew that it was going to be Jesus. Um, but maybe he had not told the people the name of the one who was to come. Maybe he did. It's hard to know. Hard to know. But Jesus, or John, was out there in the Jordan pointing people, saying, one is coming. Be ready. Prepare yourselves. He's out in the Jordan River saying, one greater than him is soon to come who will baptize not with water but with the Holy Spirit. He is more powerful than I. He can do something that I cannot. And then Jesus shows up. And he comes from Nazareth in Galilee, and he's baptized. And this, as I said, this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. So the first words of Mark's Gospel, and uh, there's something not there. There's no birth narrative. The writer of Mark is not at all concerned with how Jesus was born, how Jesus came into the world. All that matters for the writer here is this beginning of Jesus' ministry, starting with baptism. Actually, the gospel starts with Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah's prophecy and then introduces John the Baptist as the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then John the Baptist tells of one who is to come, and Jesus shows up as the fulfillment of that prophecy. And in this whole thing, Jesus doesn't speak. He says nothing. He doesn't speak to John. John doesn't speak to him. It does make, one, uh, make me wonder if maybe they had discussed this months or even years before setting up that Jesus would have to be baptized by John. We do get in some of the other Gospels, they have a dialogue. John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should baptize me. But in here, there's no conversation. Jesus says nothing. But God speaks. Or at least a voice from heaven says something. And I think we could safely assume that the writer of Mark here intends for us to think of that as God, or if not God, uh, some heavenly being speaking on behalf of God. So Isaiah speaks, 
John the Baptist speaks, God speaks, but Jesus is silent. It's a powerful silence. If Jesus on the move in silence, and there is in this passage a moment of time and geography. John is in the River Jordan, baptizing people. He's in a very specific place, in a very specific time. John is there baptizing. And as he's doing this, Jesus starts in Nazareth, in Galilee, he's over there, and starts walking, coming to where John is, and he walks into John's space and time, he has his baptism, and then he continues. Jesus continues out of John's space, leaving out the other side. It's very linear. But we have also here that John is connected with the past, the prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years or so before. Think of that as another uh, line out of that. And then also at the moment of Jesus' uh, Jesus's baptism, there's this vertical movement of the heavens opening up and the voice coming down and the spirit descending down onto Jesus. And that voice speaking. And I wonder even if Jesus and John had talked about this ahead of time or if they hadn't. Was John prepared for that moment? Was John prepared for what was going to happen at Jesus' baptism? Was Jesus prepared for it? Are any of us ever really prepared to meet or to experience God, to be in the presence of the divine, to feel the Holy Spirit touch us? As those of us who were baptized in baptism, we get the Holy Spirit, but we all, we have, the Holy Spirit is around us all the time. We can be prepared maybe for that, that moment, but can any of us or were any of us truly ready for the full effect of encountering God, that life-changing, life-altering, cosmic whiplash that can be a meeting with the divine, that can turn our lives upside down in good and wonderful ways, but can turn us upside down. And I've had some of my experiences, I've talked of some of them, some have been dramatic, most of them have not. Most of my experience with the divine is that kind of slow, unfolding, subtle, day-by-day realization of God's presence with me. But usually not the way I expect, not at the times that I would have chosen, not the way that I would have plan for them. God is a surpriser. God likes to surprise. God will come whenever and wherever God wants, regardless of what we've put on our calendar. However, regardless of how we have mapped out our time and our days, think of Christmas. We just celebrated Christmas. God surprising us, coming as a baby boy in this backwater town on the outer edge of the world's mightiest empire to a young girl who's not even a citizen of that empire. And even those that were expecting a Messiah were not expecting God to come that way. That was a surprise. The Messiah should have come from Jerusalem. It's the holy city, God's city, 
Jerusalem is where God's home, the temple was. That's where all of God's priests were. Messiah should have come out of Jerusalem. That's the big, important city. Certainly should not have come out of Nazareth, a town way up in the north, the city of traders in Isaiah's time, a land of country bumpkins. But God likes to surprise. So we may say to God, you know, God, if you're there, if you could show yourself on Tuesday morning, I'll be meditating on scripture. I'll be in my kitchen. You know where my kitchen is. Come to me in my kitchen and show me that you're here. And I need you to be really clear, except that God's not going to show up on Tuesday morning in your kitchen while you're reading scripture. Maybe a little bit of God will come in. But God probably, uh, has, or God has maybe already shown up on Friday afternoon. And when you were impatiently getting your groceries and seething at the incompetence of the checker or the screaming child behind you or the moron that cut in line in front of you. But you missed it because God can't come from Nazareth. God can't come, can't be the incompetent clerk or the screaming child or the moron that cut in line in front of you. God can't be any of those, right? And we may say, okay, God, now when you come on Tuesday morning, I also, I don't want any drama. Just show up. Say that you're there. Say that you love me. And leave me alone. Don't ask me to change anything. Don't ask me to live differently. Leave me the same way. No interference, okay? And God answers, no, not okay. I will come when I want, and I hope that when I come and you experiencing, experience me, your life will change. Things will be different. I've said this before about praying the Lord's Prayer. There is that line that we pray that says, your will be done. And I've said before, and I'll keep saying, I hope that we realize how dangerous that prayer can be. If we truly mean your will be done, not my will, not my ego, not my needs, not what I desire, that's a lot of ego to give up and giving up a, a, a lot of need for control or for that sense of power, that need for clarity and routine and calm to say your will be done. And so maybe in this movement that Jesus has when he comes comes from Nazareth, has his baptism, and moves on. Perhaps it's not that linear. Maybe he's not going where he expected to go after his baptism. When, John, when Jesus is with John and the heavens open and the voice comes down and says, You are my beloved. Right after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And I could be wrong, we don't know, but I have a feeling that Jesus was not expecting that after his baptism he would go into the wilderness. I think that was a change of plans. He probably thought he would hang out with John for a while, or maybe go to Jerusalem, or even go back home. 
there's this encounter with the divine here. And so he comes from, from, from Nazareth, comes to John, and instead of going this way, he goes off this way into the wilderness. His life is changed. Everything in my life was going fine, and then I encountered the divine. Or you might say, we might say everything was going fine, and then we encountered Jesus. Now I have to change. Or if not change, I have to pretend that meeting Jesus didn't mean anything. I had everything under control, everything planned out, and then God. But it is a wonderful life and a good thing giving up that sense of needing to be in control, giving up the sense of thinking only about myself or my own needs, giving up my need for power, trying to give up some of these ideas that wealth equals winning or that life is about accumulation of things or power or status. I don't do this perfectly. Sometimes I don't do it even uh, particularly mediocre. But there is, in following God, this call to be more generous and more giving, more loving, more tolerant, more open, and more willing to see God not just in certain ways, but to be open to God's surprises, to be open to God's surprising movements especially in the people around us. And that's a wondrous thing, to realize how present God is. To see God in the people who are living on the streets. To realize that they are a reflection of God. To see God in the screaming child and the incompetent store clerk and the guy that cut you off in line. And to realize that maybe the store clerk isn't just an incompetent store clerk, but someone who's on the first day of her job, or someone who's really tired because she has three jobs trying to support her child, maybe just having an off day. Or maybe the clerk is just struggling to hold himself together against the demonic voices in his head because his insurance company doesn't cover his medication anymore. And so he hasn't been taking it for a while. Or the veteran who has PTSD and needs some help to see God in the people around us and to hear their stories, which are stories about God. And John the Baptist is pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing the people to Jesus, saying he's going to come, and then there he is, and we now have that job. We can point to Jesus, to those around us, to say, there he is. Jesus is you, he's me, he's that gentleman, he's that child killed in Afghanistan, she's the girl that goes hungry at school, he's the one who responded to that 150-car pile up in Michigan a few days ago. She's the people who were uh, slaughtered at Charlie Hepto in Paris. And God is in the uh, suffering souls of the men who did the shooting. We point to Jesus and invite people to come with us to experience that, to experience God and to experience this world that God inhabits and cares for 
And in baptism, we learn we are beloved. Jesus is the beloved. All who are beloved are Jesus, a reflection of Jesus, and all are beloved. All of God's people, all of God's creation. And the hard lesson that, that, that I've had to learn and have slowly been learning, trying to embrace more, it's not always easy. But the lesson that I have been trying to learn is that if I am beloved, as God says, or as our baptisms symbolize, our state of being beloved, if I am beloved, then so are the people around me. I'm not the only one who is beloved. Everyone is. Everyone is. Regardless of how much I like them or regardless of how much I think of their worth, they are beloved. They are God's beloved. And just as we are all God's beloved, we are all also, we are someone's jerk. I'm sure every one of us, there is someone in the world who thinks we're a jerk, who thinks we're an incompetent or that we're annoying someone. I don't know of anyone who is so perfect and so good that everyone thinks the world of them. We are probably somebody's jerk just as well, but we are also all beloved by God. And like the song says that, we're, that we sang earlier, you know, if, if we're all beloved, let's treat each other as though we're all beloved. And that song that says, if, we're, if you're on the wrong road, go the other way. We always have the opportunity to repent and to change direction. God always forgives, always welcomes us back. If you're on the wrong road, go the other way. If you got two coats, give one away. Take care of the people around you. And don't forget your bugs. But I'm not going to judge you if you decide to forget your bugs. I have eaten many things in my life. I have yet to find the courage to eat any kind of insect. Not my thing. I want to end with a story from Julian of Norwich, who was one of the great medieval mystics of the church, talking about one of her mystical experiences with the divine. And in this, he showed me a little thing quantity of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand, as it seemed. And it was as round as any ball, and I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding, and I thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally thus, it is all that is made. I marveled how it might last, for I thought it might suddenly have fallen to naught for its littleness. And I was answered in my understanding, it lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. So have all things their beginning by the love of God. 
In this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. God made it, God loves it, and God keeps it. That, I think, is the message of baptism. We are made, we are loved, we are kept. And imagine a world in which we truly believed in the belovedness of ourselves and the belovedness of those around us. If you're on the wrong path, go the other way. And if you have two coats, give one away and know that you are God's beloved. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.